All right, I gave you, uh, I gave you an extra half a minute there, so Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And uh, take your Bibles and let's begin by going to one of our Christmas verses. It's in the book of uh, Luke, chapter 2, verse 10. This is the uh, announcement of the shepherds. Um, if you were to pick three words, three different words that people often associate with the Christmas holiday season, what would you pick? Three words. Peace. Peace. Joy. Joy. Hope. No one got hope. Those are the three. In other words, when you look around at all the decorations, uh, store windows, um, the, and there's fewer and fewer that are actually um, have Christian elements to them. But still, for the world today, you know, Christmas is... Uh, uh, People uh, use it to uh, promote peace on the earth, um, uh, hope for the future of our country, future of our lives, future of our families, and uh, uh, joy. And yet, it's such, a, uh, it's such a contradiction because those three things are, uh, out of all the seasons of the year, it's the Christmas season where those three things are most lacking in the lives of many people. There's more people that take their life over the Christmas holiday than any other time of the year. So during this season in which people kind of celebrate joy and hope and peace, uh, really for a large number of people, um, it is simply not the case. It, instead, it becomes a reminder of what they don't have. And so... Um, uh, so this morning, uh, I want to talk about um, the, the, the reason that that is such an issue is because people's joy is misplaced, their peace is misplaced, and the hope is uh, misdirected. Um, and before I start, I just, I just want just to just say how much I appreciate the worship team this morning. Uh, we've never put all the groups together, and it was just kind of a, you know, wonder how's this going to work. But I think it worked pretty well. So, uh, um, um, don't applaud yet. They've got one more song. Uh, <laughs> all right. So here we go. Matthew chapter two, uh, verse ten and eleven. The uh, announcement to the shepherds of the birth of Jesus Christ. And uh, so it goes like this. Um, um, did I say Matthew 2? Luke, yeah, yeah. Luke, ten, Luke, Luke 2, 10 and 11. Is this being recorded? It is? Okay, could you take the part out about my sweater? My wife will just have a meltdown. 2.10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. I want to just take uh, this Sunday and talk about that word Savior. It's a word that we as Christians are quite familiar with, and all the derivatives of it, salvation, saving, that kind of thing. And... Um, 
just do a little Bible study about uh, what this is all about. The word Savior is a title for God in the Old Testament. It's, uh, it's um, uh, in the book of Isaiah. Uh, the Lord says, Behold, uh, I am the Savior, and there's only one. So the Bible in the Old Testament would identify uh, the word Savior as a title for the Lord. And when we come to the New Testament, all of a sudden we find that that same title is now attributed to Jesus Christ, the Savior. It's a title for God in the Old Testament. We'll see it again even in the New Testament. And it's a title for Jesus in the New Testament. And I'd like you to turn to 1 John 4.14, uh, where this is one of the verses where that word is used. And in this verse, it describes the purpose for Jesus coming uh, using that term Savior. 1 John 4.14, where it says, The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Why did Christ come to the earth? That 1 John 4.14 essentially sums it up. He came to be the Savior of the world. Paul says about Jesus in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the most. And so this idea of the coming of Christ, he came to be a Savior, which is what the shepherds announce here, a Savior. There are some different terms used in the New Testament with respect to what Christ has done that are kind of synonyms for the word Savior. What might they be? If you can think of other terms for Savior. Redeemer. And it depends on your Bible translation, too. Deliverer, rescuer. Those are the terms that you will see used in the New Testament attributed to Christ. Now think about these terms and let's see if we can come to a, just kind of a, a brief summary of what it means to be a Savior. Savior, Deliverer, Rescuer, Redeemer. And I'll read some of the verses and these are just excerpts from the verses but in Matthew 1.21 the angel comes to Joseph, and he tells Joseph that Mary is going to bear a son, and you are to call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. At the very beginning of the birth narratives, the very first birth announcement to Joseph was to let Joseph know that this person, this son, will bear a unique name. It's not unique because it wasn't known in other places. The word Jesus is simply the word for Joshua that was used in the Old Testament. There are a number of people in the New Testament. The Greek form turns out to be Jesus. And uh, so the name in itself uh, isn't significant. It's the meaning that the angel applies to it. You shall call his name Jesus, which... If you were to translate that into what the word means, it means the Lord shall save. That's what the word Joshua means. The Lord shall save. And that's passed over in the New Testament in the name Jesus. And the angel says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so right off the bat, we recognize the idea of Jesus as a savior even before his birth. Romans 5.9 says, We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Colossians 1.13, Christ rescued us from the domain of darkness. Galatians 1.4, 
He gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from this present evil age. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Jesus, the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. And uh, maybe one more, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And as you go through in the New Testament, you see uh, the, the, the terms that are associated with what Jesus did when he was here on earth are all terms that have to do with being a savior. And here's how I'm going to just briefly des describe a savior, a deliverer, a rescuer. He is an outside party who removes one from a place of peril and places them in a place of safety. A savior, a rescuer, or a deliverer. Take someone who's in a a dangerous situation or a, a, a perilous situation and he takes them from that place and moves them to a place of safety. That's a savior. And so um, the problem with many people today is they don't really see the need for a savior and the reason for that would be why. Why do people feel that they don't need any kind of a savior. Yeah, no, you're right, Kathy. They're relatively happy. They're content with where they are. They don't know they're in, they don't know they're in peril. They're, they're just comfortable. Everything seems to be going fine. Who needs a savior? They think they're a good person. Tim? They think that their works are good enough to pay for what they've done. Okay, all right, yeah. Um, in many cases, mankind by nature has a high view of himself and a low view of God. And um, if they have a view of God at all, some believe that when death comes, you just cease to exist. Um, and that's pretty common among people today, that w when you die, you die. And, you know, I've thought about this, just, just kind of pondered this over the last couple of months. If you just stop and think, what would it be like, or what is it like when you just cease to exist? You're here, there, and then, like, there's just no consciousness, you just cease to exist. It's really, it's really kind of a... When I think about it, it's pretty depressing. Um, some people simply say there is no God, therefore there is no heaven. Some people believe in God and they simply believe that when death comes, everybody goes to heaven. Um, some people believe that no, only the good people go to heaven, um, defined by who, I don't know who. Uh, and some people believe that only religious people go to heaven. And so for a lot of people, they're, 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 they, just, they just don't see a need to be saved from anything. And it's because they don't realize when Adam fell, everyone who descended from Adam and Eve. It's really interesting in the Garden of Eden that not just Eve fell, Adam and Eve Therefore, the children born to them as a couple were cursed with the consequence of their sin.
There's a lot in the Bible about how God passes down either blessings and sometimes curses to descendants of people who are actually the guilty party. But mankind, by his very nature, comes into this world in peril. And we are born into a situation that requires a Savior. So if we look at this word Savior, the, uh, the, the, the questions that come up is, from what are we saved? Who does the saving? Um, and how does one get saved? So this is me preaching to the choir, kind of, because I, I, I know you, you know these things. But um, in Matthew 1.21, the angel says, Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So we know right there that salvation and a savior in that passage is that we're, we're, people are getting saved from their sins. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 talks about how the Lord delivers us from the wrath to come. So we need a savior because there's a coming wrath and people need to be saved from that. Um, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But it's not merely physical death. So what we're saved from when it says we're saved from our sins, what it's, what it's really referring to is we're saved from the consequences of sin. Sin has consequences. God's a righteous God. He's established rules. Uh, that reflect his righteousness. And Romans, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of that righteousness. We've fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But we're not just talking about physical death. Because... Here's the verses I'd like you to, let's go ahead and look these up because I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews 9.27. I'll give you, so Hebrews 9.27 and the next verse will be Luke 12.5. So you can, you know, you can choose either one of those or both of those. And I'm using these two verses because of one word that they both contain. Hebrews 9. 27 and it says this and inasmuch as is and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment and I'll read Luke 12:5 and then I'll come back to that Jesus says, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one whom, after he has killed, has authority to cast you into hell. I tell you, fear him. The word in both of those verses that is most telling is the word after. It is appointed unto men to die once and after. What's the word after indicate? It's... There is something beyond. It's a word of sequence. We've got the word before, and we've got the word after. Before is something that occurs before the present, 
and after is in this sequence, after, next, in the future. Okay, and the front end is the four. Oh, bow. Okay, well, so can't use that. Okay, <laughs> you Navy guys. But notice, it is pointed in demand to die once and after, which tells us that there's something after death. Luke twelve five, Jesus says, here's the one you ought to fear. Fear the one who after he's killed, has the authority to cast you into hell. Fear him. When we talk about what are we saved from, we're saved from the consequence of sin. What's the consequence of sin? It's a judgment. Matthew 25, 46 says, the righteous will go away into eternal life, but the unrighteous will go away into eternal punishment. Jesus said the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. This is what people are saved from. Now I've got to stop right here because you might be thinking, what in the world are you doing, Robert? It's Christmas Sunday, and here you're talking about hell and judgment. And I got to be, you know, I, I mean, I'm thinking, is this really a good idea? Um, but I'll tell you what I, here's what Christmas Sunday is like for me. And hear me out. Don't, don't, don't walk out until I, you hear the whole thing. But I, Christmas Sunday is like a funeral. It's like a funeral in this sense. A funeral is one of those times in a person's life one of the few places where they're confronted face to face with the reality of death. Usually we go along our merry lives, but when someone dies and we go to that service, it's the time when people are confronted with the reality of death and dying. And so that's the connection that I'm making. Out of all the days of the year, out of all of the 52 Sundays of the year, it's usually either an Easter Sunday or a Christmas Sunday when people come and, and we talk about the joy of the Lord and we talk about uh, joy to the world. We sing about joy to the world. We have peace on earth and all of that stuff. And it's an opportunity for some people who uh, maybe are unable to come on other Sundays, but they really need to hear what's the source of joy at the Christmas season. And the real source of joy is the recognition that you have been saved from something that is an eternal peril. And so, this is what people are saved from. And when we think about that, even as believers, it's um, sobering. It's sobering. Because if we believe what Jesus has said, there are many people who will die and pass into eternity who have not been saved. And um, even we as believers, we don't like to listen to that. We know it's true, 
but it's hard to be reminded of it. Is it not? Because let's face it, all of us probably have loved ones or friends or neighbors who don't know the Lord. And we don't want them to experience what comes after death unless that experience has been tempered by a Savior. And so just a reminder for us at Christmas time, uh, in light of uh, really, this is why we, we rejoice. We have been delivered from that. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, I mean, we can, this is what the Bible says, but not everybody believes the Bible or wants to believe the Bible, and, you know, we don't, and that's fine, that's fine. But future truth is always validated when the future becomes present. And uh, so it's just, just something to, for us as believers, you know, what should we do? First of all, we need to be praying for people. Do you realize that God can actually save people through your prayers? And that's why we pray. Okay, so don't, don't give up on that. Um, Tim, how many years did it take before you became a believer? I'll just throw that out. Twenty-five. Okay. How many of you had parents or grandparents that you knew prayed for you before you accepted the Lord? Quite a few of us, and that's just a that's just a good impetus for us who are grandparents, parents, to be praying for our grandchildren, our children. Okay. And don't give up. I mean, God hears every prayer, every one. There's um, there's no prayers wasted on the Lord. Is that not right? And so don't give up. Keep praying. The thing that ought to motivate us is the recognition that we know, according to what the Bible says, we know what we've been saved from. So now we ask, well, how does one get this salvation? Uh, and I'll read 1 Corinthians 15.1. I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand by which also you are saved. It's the gospel. What's the gospel? Here it is. I delivered you as of first importance what I received. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The good news of the gospel is this. There is a way in which we can be saved from the consequences of our sin and that salvation is through what Jesus has done for us on the cross, rising from the tomb. How do I get that salvation? First, recognize we are saved by Christ and what he did for us. Okay? Number one, we're, there's two steps. We are saved by Christ and what he did for us. Number two, believe number one. That's how you're saved. For by grace we have been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. So for us, joy, peace, hope. What's the source? Where's the joy come from? Where's the joy come from at Christmas time? When your family's not here, you didn't get the gifts you wanted or whatever. Where's the joy come from when you're all alone on Christmas Day? 
Where's the joy come from when you've lost loved ones and family members who were with you last Christmas and are not here this Christmas? Where does the joy come from? The joy comes from what the angels told the shepherds. Today there has been born for you in the city of David a Savior. That's the source of joy. And that doesn't go away when the family leaves, when the presents are all unwrapped, and when December 26th comes. The joy is still there. We rejoice in the Lord every day because we have a Savior. Where's the peace come from? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Christmas talks about peace on earth and the Christmas blessing of the different people is, you know, I just want to have peace on earth. The real peace people need is in their heart, and it's a peace that exists between them and God. Because without a Savior, they are not at peace with God. And there will never be peace in this world until it's ruled over by the Prince of Peace. There's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be war. There's always going to be rain. Always. And there will never be peace on a world scale until Christ reigns. But the peace that we long for is the peace that's in our own hearts. When things aren't going well, when we lose uh, a job, or when we're uh, uh, when we get cancer, can we still have peace in the midst of all of that? We can, if our peace is based on where it needs to be. And then hope. There's nothing greater for the future than to have hope. Someone, do, uh, how do you describe hope? Someone wants to know, well, what, what hope? What is hope? Hope. I hope. <laughs> hope is an expectation, a certain expectation that what God has promised in the future is going to come about. When I say certain expectation, we use the word hope simply in terms of an expectation or even a wish. I hope the ducks win on New Year's Day. But how certain can I be of that? That's right. Evidence, the <laughs> faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Both faith, and Paul says this, now abide the, out of all of the, the, the things, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And you know why love is greater than faith and hope? Because faith and hope are both temporary. There will come a day when our faith becomes sight. And there will become a day when our hope is realized in reality. And uh, so faith, hope, and love. And then love just continues on into eternity as it's begun here. And that's all available to us. And only available to us because we have a Savior. Amen?
So, my Christmas gift to you. Um, much to the chagrin of those that are doing the children's church, is that you will get on Christmas Sunday the shortest sermon of the year. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Father God, we are... We are a blessed people. At the same time, Father, we, um, we grieve for our loved ones and our family members who have not yet recognized that they need a Savior. Father, our prayer, and let it not just be today, Lord, let us commit ourselves to pray and to ask you every day for the hearts of those whom we love. Father, would you instill within us a great heart of faith to believe, as you have said, that those things for which we ask in faith, believing that we shall receive. Father, we don't want anyone to have to experience what they deserve for their sins. We want them to share with us a Savior. And Lord, this Christmas season, may we not neglect lifting up the name of Jesus, not just as a baby in a manger, but as a Savior on the cross, whose death brought life and whose suffering brought hope for us. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for loving us as, and by that love delivering us from the consequences of our own sin. We humbly thank you and we rejoice in the peace and hope that we have because Christ the Savior has been born. In Jesus' name, amen.